we're joined by Simon Carter, who's led organisations through significant change and transformation across a variety of sectors. Simon has a proven track record of accelerating business growth from integration and implementation of digital strategies right through to marketing rollout. In his latest role with RM Education, he spent the last two years highlighting the need for schools to adopt technology to ensure pupils get the best education possible. He joins us today to talk about his learnings and observations as the education sector faces its biggest shake-up in decades. So, I'm really interested to speak to you today, Simon. I mean, you're really at the pinnacle of the face of education, really, and how education can um, embrace technology. And obviously now this topic more than ever is, is super hot in the sense of there's so much change because of the impact of COVID that's really meant a lot of education establishments are really rethinking how they can um, almost use technology to make their lives easier and, and really looking at how they can sort of keep that level of teaching requirement when people are having to be more remote. And with the signs at the moment, we're recording this in August, um, mid-August, there's still no signs of um, any sort of cure um, for, for this current um, COVID-19 disease. So it looks like we're very much needed to carry on with our social distancing measures, although a lot's loosened up of late, which has been fantastic. Still very much keeping social distancing, mask wearing is very much in force within the UK. So it'll be really interesting to learn today from you about how um, education can really use the right technology to help support them through this challenging time. And before we dive into what you're doing right now, I'd love to um, learn a little bit more about you. So you've worked across many different sectors um, and I'd love for you to just walk us through your experiences so far and what you've learned along the way. So hopefully one day I'll find a sector that I enjoy and enjoys me really because I've kind of, as you say, been a little bit of a nomad. But um, I kind of am a, a headhunter's worst nightmare because they can't fit me into a pigeonhole nicely. Um, so I started my career in financial services. Uh, I then moved into the opening of the utilities market, gas and electricity. Uh, I then moved from there. Uh, I went to work for Virgin in some startup um, that, that Richard was doing. Uh, then from there, to retail, uh, retail to holidays, uh, holidays uh, then took me to uh, Fujitsu, a big IT company where I spent seven years uh, on a, a European basis or on a mayor basis. Um, and then from there, I did some interim work um, with um, a health and safety business. Uh, primarily retail business, with uh, another holiday company, and I ran a market research agency. And then for the last two years, I've been working in education technology. So a bit of a, a, a strange background, but I think throughout all of those, uh, I've had some sort of marketing hat. Uh, it's not always been called marketing. Sometimes it's customer service, sometimes it's called strategy, sometimes it's called commercial. Uh, but I've had some responsibility for uh, creating product and service propositions, taking them to market, market, uh, managing uh, P&L responsibility for customers, which is only possible if you're doing something quite right, that they want to keep paying you. Um, and and, and yeah, more of the same, really. And that's the same whether you are a bank or a utility company, a retailer, uh, or an education technology company. And there's been quite a strong, um, throughout all of the businesses you work with, there's been quite a strong connection to technology and, and digital application. Um, and I'm guessing that's something that you can bring to your current position, uh, RM Consulting. 
in that sense? I think I think it's it's true that um, technology now manifests all all sectors, and, and and I think the one where it has probably been slowest to be adopted is education. Um, and whilst RM is 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 a 40, 47 year old business um, that originally made technology when it was the, the the thing to do, and then has moved into into services uh, and reselling. Um, the customers, the schools, the teachers, the uh, the head teachers have not always embraced technology in the way that a retailer or a bank or a utility company couldn't exist without it. So it is one of the last bastions, I think, um, to recognise how technology can uh, make a lesson uh, more uh, more interesting, can address the workloads that our teachers face, um, can help a school be much more efficient. It's been one of the last sectors, I think, to fully embrace that. And I think the coronavirus has been the, uh, the catalyst to make that happen. quite interesting because I completely agree with you education is kind of there almost with agriculture and and construction I feel um, at the moment being one kind of the the bottom laggers in in digital adoption and it must be quite interesting work in that sector because it must be such a change for them there must be some sort of reoccurring fears and blockers that come up again and again when you when you're discussing what the opportunities are. Um, just firstly, on the first point, you said I think agriculture is one of the leaders right now in technology in terms of using you know satellite technology to understand uh, weather predictions, to use all sorts of uh, uh, clever um, uh, ways of, of ensuring that the, that the fields are fertilised appropriately, the cows are uh, are milked at the right time. So I think agriculture is absolutely in the technology age. I think yeah, agri tech is uh, is quite a big a, bit, a big big area, and certainly when uh, when I was at Fujitsu, we were doing a lot of work with. With, uh, with growing lettuces, both vertically and underground, uh, using technology to do that. But anyway, that's we, we digress. Um, so yes, I think you're right about education. I think that a lot of teachers um, were either threatened by technology as fearing it as being, you know, a, you know, a, a, a potential replacement for the teacher, which was clearly it never is, and, and, and hopefully never will be, or and perhaps more likely they didn't recognise that it brought anything to what they were doing. It didn't deliver against the business case. It didn't uh, provide um, the the advantages that uh, were seen in other parts of society. Yeah, a teacher has very much seen themselves as, as the empowered individual to impart knowledge to pupils. And they didn't, that nobody had convinced them that technology would, would help them do that better. Mm, interesting and is there any other kind of challenges within the actual um at the forefront you know the actual teachers do you get any sort of concerns of digital technology from from that level sort of almost those who are actually teaching certainly you know rm uh we did research at the start of the year that um looked at the blockers of greater education technology uptake within schools uh, and we were expecting it to be budgets uh, we're expecting it to be uh, just technology uh, advancement and, and understanding. We're expecting it to be um, cybersecurity, all those sort of things. And what came out very clearly was actually the teachers themselves 
we did have a voice within a school and were saying, I don't see it, I don't recognise it, I'd rather we spent uh, our very limited budgets on something else. So I think that, that we have had to to overcome that. And also I think you know, my own industry is, is somewhat guilty in that we haven't necessarily recognised the needs of the teacher in terms of our, uh, our sales patter you know we've talked to the head teacher we've talked to the bursar we've talked to to the governors uh, and obviously the network managers but we've kind of forgotten that actually the people that, that really are very important in schools are the teachers themselves and i think what the the coronavirus has done as it's made those teachers think wow how are we going to do what we've been doing for the last x years if we can't yeah, eyeball our pupils if we can't get in front of them if we can't uh, provide homework for them we can't mark the homework we can't communicate with them how are we going to do our jobs and i think that's where technology has, has come back to, to, to play and when you think about some of the clients because obviously you're um you know every day speaking to a variety of different education establishments and schools about you know what they can do it for a school that's right at the beginning of this kind of journey and and, and has kind of realized that they they do really need need some help in terms of making sure they embrace technology what are the kind of the key touch points that they should they should be kind of looking at first i guess what are the building blocks so I think you know schools for some time have uh, involved people like RM as a network partner, and, and certainly we work with primary schools, secondary schools, uh, school trusts. We are you know, our role is to advise schools in, 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 in that way. So those schools who already made that decision, it's a relatively straightforward conversation to say, um, "Hey, can you advise us on this?" Lots of other schools have gone different routes, and so they're looking to their local authority, to their school trust. But actually, probably the first place that schools look to is other schools. Yeah, it is the number one place they do. You know, head teachers talk to each other, teachers talk to each other, network managers talk to each other, and and they exchange ideas. So, what's what's worked for you? What what was your experience of using this this technology, this software? How did you overcome this challenge um, with safeguarding or whatever it happens to be? Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why why we at RM have worked quite hard at things like case studies because that's a great way to uh, capture the story of one school and share it with other schools so that they can impart that knowledge uh, and and the school will believe will trust what they're hearing from another school about their experiences and most of the cases we've thought we've written have very much followed a this was the challenge they were facing generally coronavirus this is the lessons they've learned and this is the legacy they have for the future and that's the bit which which we think has been very effective at trying to convince the majority of those schools who aren't yet on this journey that maybe they should be. So I guess for anyone that's listening that um, is aware this is something that they need to do, it's worth just popping along to your website and, and reading up on some of the case studies as a good starting point to understand how different schools are managing um, the, the different challenges, I guess. With it, with, I think it's happens. no different to, to any other book of life, whether it's mm. you know, you're going on holiday and you're going to TripAdvisor, whether you're looking to buy a new TV and you go to Amazon, you look at the reader reviews. I think that actually using case studies in, in, in the B2B world, in the school world, is a very good way to 
to understand, uh, well, this is how they overcome that. So I'll give you some examples. Um, uh, a number of schools came to us and said, well, actually, our teachers aren't comfortable going on video to let their pupils into their home through the background they had behind them. How did you overcome that? And we had examples where other schools had taken uh, baby steps along the route by simply recording a voiceover over a PowerPoint presentation. So uh, a teacher would prepare a lesson on PowerPoint and then they would speak. And so rather than actually showing the video, they would start by using the audio. And that was a nice way to do that. Uh, another example was around safeguarding. So again, how were, were some schools overcoming the challenges of uh, exposing uh, pupils to, to things that perhaps they, sh they shouldn't see, etc. And again, other schools volunteered examples of how they've got permission, how they made sure there's always two teachers on a call, etc., etc. Uh, again, as a nice way to kind of bridge that gap. Another school was, was worried about how could they engage parents on this journey because parents were as much uh, bemused by, well, by the start of the virus as anyone else. And again, schools were talking about how they'd use platforms and use uh, the form capability within some of those platforms to engage with, with parents, parents to then uh, fill in questionnaires back in terms of whether they had technology at home, whether they had a fast uh, internet connection, et cetera, et cetera. So all of these were examples that came about directly from experiences of one school that we were then able to be the, uh, the go-between and share that with other schools. change shift within these schools so it's kind of like right you know they've they've maybe um, got yourself or you know gone independently to adopt all this technology and just thinking with your marketing hat on here um do schools then need to almost reposition themselves out to the the parents the teachers um and indeed the pupils and invest in um how they're communicating how they're using kind of technology now out to the wider audience or are people sort of is it just sort of almost behind the scenes business as usual i think that um all of the above i guess vicky in terms of i think that the research we did recently was asking schools why did they apply to the government to get funding for some of these digital platforms and the number one response that came back was that they wanted to improve the technical offer of their school um, and that's true whether it's a primary school or a secondary school. So schools are, you know, whether, whether they accept it readily or not, they are a business. They do need to make sure they have uh, the next intake of, of pupils coming through. And, and parents, because they have a choice, will really want to send their pupils to a school that, that, that provides the, the best possible education, most rounded education for their child. And I think having a good technical offer is increasingly becoming part of that. So, I, so, so to your marketing point, I think the school should be able to demonstrate to future pupils and their parents that they absolutely get technology and that they, they are uh, prepared for that. I think a second issue is around um, the investment in technology. So it's very clear that at the start of the virus, the schools that were at the forefront and were, were the most prepared for the, for, the, for the times that we've been through were those who already were on the journey. They already had some of their applications in the cloud. They were able to, to pay 
bills, to to look at uh, uh, um, staff records, etc., remotely because they were cloud-based. They had the most modern devices, so that when they came to log in from home, they weren't immediately the the, the, the computers didn't didn't crash, uh, etc. They had uh, sufficient bandwidth. They had sufficient devices. I think one of the challenges that that, that is probably worth, worth touching on is is whether um, you know how well uh, disadvantaged pupils have been able to to get online during this period because clearly uh, certainly at the start of it there, there were a lot of ho- a lot of families who may have had one device between three children mum and dad all of which were working at home now and I think that um, that, that that was that was challenging in, ma- in many cases so I think that uh, what schools now have realised is that they need to, to get this technology thing, they need to have some cloud stuff, and they need to have some devices that are not so clunky that it, that it becomes a turn-off and an impossible dream to actually do anything. And I think a combination of all of those things is where I think the uh, the sector is going, that you're seeing a much more technologically advanced school who recognises these things, they have a network partner, they have modern devices, they have the latest digital platforms so they are prepared for whatever that that uh, that, that eventuality will be and as i said earlier it may not be a pandemic next time but it might be a bad winter it might be a, a, dis- a local disaster like a flood or a fire and if you have some of this uh, uh, technology in place you can simply uh, switch that seamlessly and not be uh, be be, be uh, um, you know disturbed the way that schools have been at the start of the virus and you also touched on this earlier you know like if a child's sick you know sometimes you can sort of you know break a leg or or, or not be almost a bit like you know being not sick enough to not be able to not do some work but being too too sick to um or you know not able to get to the actual school so it allows this sense of being able to carry on your education in a sense if you're not able to get into physically get into school that day um certainly remember in my day it was very much a case of if you weren't at school then you know a friend would have to drop your homework round you know in a written out paper sheet um we you know no one to ask any questions you know just get on with it and and hope it's okay but i feel like the this whole kind of technology and the way things are changing that that's just not going to be a challenge anymore and it's going absolutely to absolutely up. yeah i think i think all of what you've just said is absolutely right i think that this is you know for, you know the pandemic has been has been yeah awful and unpredicted but it has brought attention to this thing about business continuity and the fact that schools need to be able to continue people's education no matter what's thrown at them, whether that's a fire, that's a flood, that's that's illness, as you say, a broken leg, etc. The other analogy that I, I just, you know, amused with slightly in what you said is also back in the day when I was at school, one of the big excuses was, oh, I've forgotten my homework. I forgot to bring it in today. I'll bring it in tomorrow, which, of course, was an excuse for I haven't done it yet. I'll go home and do it tonight. Whereas if it's all submitted online through a, a Microsoft Teams or Google Classroom type, type application, that excuse is long gone. So, uh, you know, there are some, some bad things about technology and that it's removed the excuses that uh, the pupils have used for, for decades uh, to uh, for, for why they haven't done their, their homework. I think it's very interesting in this space and having worked recently with um with Chigwell School ourselves in the sense of it's re- really key to kind of make sure that everyone is um listened to and understood and and on the same path and it's almost brought along with the story certainly before before the virus i think one of the big um 
big pain points in schools with teacher workloads. Teachers were were feeling that, that they just didn't have the time to do the job. Mm. And I think one thing that the virus has done is it has shown that actually technology is not uh, something to be feared, it's something to be, to be embraced. And I think that one thing that I really hope comes out of this is that teachers recognise that actually they can start to get back in control uh, of, of all the things they need to do by embracing technology to bring it into the classroom, bring it into their the way they deliver lessons, the way they prepare lessons. You know, one of the, I mentioned earlier about um, teacher empowerment um, and, and, and some teachers feeling it was a weakness to use someone else's content in their lesson plans. Yeah, you know, I think the things like the, the Oak National Academy is, is a great example of where the government has supported the creation of fantastic content that teachers can bring into their lessons and take some of the pressure off them, and 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 then teachers can focus on what they do really really well, which is which is teach, um, rather than having to spend so much time doing all of the the admin and the marking and the lesson creation behind it that takes so much time. Uh, and technology has such an important role to play in there and freeing up our teachers to do what they do so well yeah i think that's a really valid point point. Um, and we've got one last question um which we ask all of our guests um and it's just a sort of joke you want to wrap up on but if you were stuck in slough for four hours with no technology so you don't have your phone you don't have a laptop you don't have any internet what would you do I am sure there are some amazing places in Slough that are not written about. And so I would spend my four hours exploring Slough, finding maybe some of the, uh, you know, what, why is Slough, does, why doesn't it have the brand recognition that it deserves? What are some of the best places in Slough? And then when my technology came back online, I'll go and tell people why they should go to Slough and enjoy it. <laughs> great thank you so much that's a cracking answer well thanks so much for talking to us a today pleasure. simon it's been really insightful and i really hope that for those listening who are part of a school establishment they kind of really take some of those top tips on how you can drive your school forward um, and sort of support get support in this kind of post-pandemic world thanks a lot simon it's a pleasure thank you vicky for having me it's been enjoyable to just talk about it uh, i'm very enthusiastic and i think there's a, a great future out there for everybody nala is a brand acceleration agency for businesses that want to be part of the future we help brands define their momentum to change and to transform through strategy and design To find out more about our work and how Nala could help your business, visit us online at nala.co.uk.